Hi, everybody. I'm going now to, uh, it's been a little complex to arrange, but it's been arranged. I am going to be speaking now with Jonathan Mellis, and he is in prison in Washington, D.C. He's speaking from his prison. He's allowed 15 minutes at a time, to the best of my knowledge. He is in prison for participating in the January 6th events at the Capitol. To the, he's a Tennessean. He's 35 years old, 36 years, 35 years old. And we're going to speak now about a lot of things. So, Jonathan, are you are you there? Uh, yes, sir. I'm here. Well, uh, I just want to say it's an honor to meet you, sir. I'm a big fan. Thank you for that. I appreciate it a lot. Why are you in prison? Um, I'm in uh, jail for um, the events that happened on uh, January 6th, and um, I don't uh, I don't know how to go into more specifics about that. Um, uh, it was. Uh, I, I do want to say that it was not uh, an insurrection. Uh, I know that the media narrative is... That is correct. Different. It was not an insurrection. That is one of the great lies of American history. Yes, sir. And I, I also want to point out that I am in here with Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, and I can promise you they had no plan that day. Uh, if you met these guys, you would know that they're not the kinds of guys with, with a plan. <laughs> well, I don't know if there was one person found with a gun. How how do you have an unarmed uh, insurrection? Yes, sir. And uh, no institutional support. Uh, every single right-wing um, media personality denounced it. Uh, n- nobody. It it's uh, it's it's ridiculous that. Um, but we're tarred as um, racists, extremists. I promise you, we are not racists. I promise you, we are not extremists. Uh, we sing the national anthem every single night at 9 p.m. with our hands on our hearts. That, and, uh, that my friend, is considered an extremist at the New York Times. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you, I, um, just, just so you'll know what an extremist now is defined as by the left, if you sing the national anthem every night, you're an extremist. That, that's how they would regard you. Right. And a kook. A kook. They have contempt for people who love the flag and the country. Okay, anyway... Uh, what I'm particularly interested in is two things, what you're charged with and how you've been treated. Okay. I'm charged with um, uh, assault, uh, and, um, and I've been uh, – and uh, I, uh, I, I, I just want to point out that there's a lot of things that were very complicated that day. I, wa- I, wanna, I, I don't know if your listeners have heard of uh, the, the story surrounding Roseanne Boyland. But I would encourage them to look into that and to uh, to understand what is uh, going on in uh, many of these guys' uh, situations, in- including myself. Um, so um, Roseanne Boylan was um, died that day as well, um, uh, as a result of of of, of what the, what happened. And um, our treatment. Our treatment has been mostly solitary confinement, uh, solid until July, and then it's on and off after that. We only get one hour, one hour or two hours max out of our cell until July. And then now we've 
we come out of our cell about four hours roughly a day, and it's only half the, the te- uh, half the pod. Um, that's uh, that's the lightest part of it. We've got um, every single guard. I mean, most of them, not every single one, but most of them, especially when they don't know us, they are absolutely hateful. They're racist. They call us names. They beat us. We've had several guys um, assaulted by officers for uh, in the middle of the night, popping their doors, zip tying their hands and feet, beating them almost to the in- to an inch of their life. Um, we've had uh, I've I've witnessed this uh, guards going in inmate cells, uh, and uh, um, you know it, 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 every time the the the, uh, the jail gets held in, well, I think the warden and the, the uh, deputy director or something was held in contempt because of the lack of medical treatment that they were providing to um, Chris Worrell, who was actually a cancer patient and he needed treatments and he had a uh, problems and they were refusing him that, so they were held in criminal contempt. The very next day, our food was spiked with cleaning chemicals, um, and we could, I mean, it's clear that that was retribution. That happens uh, all the time. Um, we're not given enough food. Um, medical treatment, of, like I said, is we're completely ignored. None of us have seen our families' faces all year. We're not given video visitation. We're not given in-person visitation. We're given nothing. We've got guys from Texas, California. We have not seen our families. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other things. There's there's no haircuts or barber services. There's, um, um, you know, uh, 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 the plumbing, uh, the water, brown water uh, all the time pops up, and then the water in the toilets will stop up all the time. Uh, so we have unworking plumbing situation, mold in the cells, the showers, the day room. Um and um, um, you have a lawyer? Yeah. I, uh, yes, sir. I started with a public defender, as a lot of us guys did. I ended up um, hiring my own counsel. But I, I, that's one big uh, problem that we have in here is the fellows um, that have public defenders. These are all left-wing um, public defenders that hate us, that hate Trump, that want us to that advise us to denounce our political beliefs and uh, uh, to uh, blame Trump for everything and do the whole song and dance in order to get out of here, denounce the... One of the guys went to court for Bond, and uh, he uh, denounced singing the Star-Spangled Banner every night, and they let him out. You know, he called us all cult members, uh, and and they let him out. Um, so basically, you, you denounce your beliefs, and you uh, agree to the re-education, and, uh, and, they, uh, and they'll... Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is this it's, is com- uh, it, communist China in the United States. Yes, sir. It's scary. It's very scary. But uh, I do want to point out we still sing the national anthem every night at 9 p.m. with our hands on our hearts. What, what, what is? What, what, do you have a court date? I mean, what is foreseen for you? Um, the speedy trial thing kind of was thrown out the window. I guess they say COVID is the reason. That's why uh, a lot of this is happening. But, um, but uh, it, yeah, I have a status hearing on January 20th. Um, and um, I believe we're going to be um, hopefully putting in a bond motion soon. Um, there's been, uh, you know... So basically, this is the story on the left. They let people who uh, run over people people who beat up relatives 
people who sell uh, f- fentanyl, they get out immediately. And you, who, who did minimal, if anything, wrong, uh, is, uh, is treated like they treat people in the Soviet Union. Can we continue? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Jonathan Mellis. This is the saddest call of my career. said it was the saddest call of my life, of my career, I should say, and it is, that this man is treated this way in the United States of America. Jonathan Mellis is in jail in Washington, D.C., over the events of January 6th. Jonathan, is it correct that you did not enter the Capitol? Yes, sir. I, I never went inside. I was uh, I was on the uh, uh, lower west terrace, um, the where the inaugural stage where they set that up. Yes, Why were you not allowed bail immediately? Well, um, my first uh, lawyer was a public defender, and like I said, he was uh, he was uh, he was constantly saying disparaging things when privately. Uh, to me, to, about us, about me, about Trump. Uh, he did not want to go for a bond motion. He did not. He didn't want to. Uh, it, 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 so your left-wing public had, defender was basically against you. Absolutely, a hundred percent. He said several different things on multiple occasions, and finally, I just I had had it. I had to get rid of him. He he was so blinded by. Uh, rate or hatred. I just, I couldn't believe it. I was, you know, you know, first thing he told me was that he was one of the best in the country. He was a Forbes top 100. He was touting all of his stuff, but immediately after, that was the first time I ever met him on a Zoom call. And uh, after that, it was just, just encouraging comments. Always trying to take shots at me. Mm -hmm. He's a sheep. He's a left-wing sheep. So you, you did not have the money for a, a, a non-public defender? Uh, yes, sir. I didn't. I didn't have the funds at that moment. Uh, I was able to raise the funds um, afterwards, uh, months, months later. Um, and then, did you the get a, a, a? Did you get uh, then a private lawyer? Uh, yes, sir. And what happened yes, then? Sir. So, wh- why no bond with the private lawyer? Well, the private lawyer since um, early October. Uh, so um, we're, we're we're working on a bond motion now. We've uh, we've uh, a lot more information is coming available, and uh, he's working with that. So we're gonna we're gonna try to uh, get me out of here on a, on a bond. I want to follow your case uh, very much, uh, Jonathan Mellis. You're a, you are in, in effect a political prisoner and being tortured. I consider solitary confinement torture. I consider it worse than waterboarding. Uh, people are not driven out of their minds if they're waterboarded. They're, it's, a, it's an act of terror, and uh, it's awful. I don't deny that. Uh, but uh, people go out of their minds from solitary confinement. Do they allow you, uh, when you're alone, even a book? Uh, yes, sir. They, they were allowing us uh, 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 books in this uh, verse. So there's 
<clears throat> two versions of the solitary confinement. There's the solitary confinement that we're on here with each other, where we're all we're all in cells next to each other, we're all in the same pod. But um, in uh, uh, August to, to September, I was uh, taken out of here for no reason. Uh, they have not given me any paperwork. They have not given me any uh, explanation as to why they, they took me out of here. And they uh, put me in the hole, which is we call the dungeon. So that is another version of solitary confinement, which is uh, no uh, anything. You don't get anything. And you're in a darker, dirtier, nastier, quieter area where you're literally shackled every time you're... So it's it's probably, uh, it sounds to me that it's fair to say that they're torturing you until you denounce uh, your views. Yes, sir. That's how it feels uh, to all. Because the, the man who did denounce his views got out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And lawyers are always telling their clients, public defenders are always telling their clients to denounce their views. Absolutely. We've been pressured everywhere. You were not even allowed to attend your father's funeral, correct? No, sir, and he's a he's a decorated uh, Vietnam War vet, uh, and he uh, he uh, he fought for his country. And he loved this country, and uh, last time I saw him, um, uh, he was standing next to an armored truck in the in, in front of his house while I was uh, handcuffed in the in the back. But they had raided the house like I was uh, Scarface, sir, and like I was an Al Qaeda member. Um, I, uh, I, I, uh, I I I I. Uh, I watched a woman die on January 6th, and they treated me like a terrorist. That's right. For that. Well, on the bright side, you have a wonderful girlfriend. She's the most amazing person in the world. Kelly is... That's right. I mean... She made this, she made this all possible, plus a friend of ours who, who knew how to contact her. You you will you will have a fine life when you get out, and I and I intend to greet you. Thank you so much for all of your support and your help. I I uh, I I, uh, I know that the events of that day disappointed uh, some, and 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 I just want you to know that our hearts were uh, in the right place, and um, we're not evil, and we're not terrorists. And we're not racists. That's right. I know that. I know that. All right, Jonathan Mellis. I will keep in touch with you and with this situation. I'd like to talk to Kelly, his girlfriend. Whew. America shouldn't do this. Whatever your views of January 6th. Or the Dennis Prager Show. Renounce your views, and we uh, we won't uh, we won't torture you anymore. Unless the man was lying, and I don't believe he was lying. Be beaten up by guards because they don't like your political views. If if I could have had a talk with a prisoner in in communist China, wouldn't they report very similar things happening? Renounce your views, you get out. Until then, we beat you. We put you in solitary confinement. Man with zero record of having done anything didn't even enter the capital. By the way, I did not know about this other woman who who died. Uh, and, and died? Did she die or was she killed? I don't know. I, but 
uh, it's worth it's worth looking into. The word insurrection is a left wing lie. It's a hundred percent lie. Insurrection, right? People posing at Nancy Pelosi's desk with uh, what ears were they on? What what, he, what ears did he wear? It's another guy. I know it's another guy. Moose moose hat. Moose hat. Right. This is an insurrection. He's he's been sentenced. I know he's he's four years, right? Forty months. Uh, Forty months. That's three years and four months. Yep. That's right. The the left, the Democrats use the uh, January 6th events like the Nazis used the Reichstag fire to deflect from their making a police state, which they are doing. Merrick Garland turns out to be a bad man. I didn't think so. He was portrayed as so mild-mannered. Here's a, a good example, we were told, uh, of a of a sweet, moderate, liberal, turns out to be a left-wing punk. There is so much wrong in the country that the left has created. Well, every almost everything wrong is created by the left. Look at the schools. Yesterday I reported to you about what kids are learning in Illinois and in Oregon. About gender identity at the age of five. If your kid is uh, your kid is learning that, and you keep your kid in that school, you're hurting your child. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant what your situation is. It's not irrelevant to you, of course, but it is irrelevant to what is happening to your child. Essentially, anything would be better than sending them to most schools in this country, homeschooling is the most obvious. It sounds intimidating, and and the beginning is famous Hebrew phrase, all beginnings are difficult. I told you I was raised with aphorisms. They were the most powerful forces for my understanding of the world. I wonder if kids have any aphorisms today. Well, I guess they do. Men give birth, men menstruate, Pick pick your gender, Diversity, I guess those are their aphorisms. What your kids are learning in school, this this treatment of, of, of fellow Americans in prison. I'm against solitary confinement for murderers. I've spoken about that frequently on, on, in my career. Unless there is absolute necessity that that I can't even imagine, you have you have a guy threatening other prisoners. I would imagine that's the only possible time, and it 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 has to be in a way. I mean, we have to be able to protect other prisoners from other prisoners. The American prison system is bad reflection on this country that people know that it's almost inevitable for many men to be raped in prison by other men. And now the transgender females, women in prison, have male bodies with them because they claim to be female. Yeah. 
very uh, very troubling. However, however, this is the most organized opposition to tyranny on the face of the earth today. Europe has collapsed. Canada has collapsed. We are fighting. We are more than ever in American history the last best hope on earth. It, this is the clearest example of that it, since 1776. Folks, this show is now available on TV, and I urge you to go there and watch it. Go to SalemNewsChannel.com or download the app. You can also watch us on Roku and Fire Stick. Salem News Channel, the antidote to the mainstream media. Hello, my friends. I'm Dennis Prager. Sometimes I feel I do important things with this program. That call is an example. Civil, the American Civil Liberties Union is a, is a fraud. It has no interest in civil liberties. It has no interest in free speech. In fact, it's actually acknowledged that its interest is in diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's just another left-wing organization. So, Russ, in Northridge, California, where can we donate money to John's defense? Whoops. Uh, and uh, the answer it will be com- forthcoming from me when I find that out. StopHate.com? There you go. Go to StopHate.com. That's right. Uh, So that answers uh, Michael in Chula Vista, California. Answers Andy in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The issue of guards beating up prisoners for their political views and getting away with it is very disturbing. These guards need to be fired. They need to be put in prison. This this must be pursued. I would say this if the prisoner were a radical leftist. In America, guards don't beat up prisoners. Like, on, on one of, isn't that one of the few things that left and right can agree with, or is it okay to beat up prisoners who are on the right? I want to make something clear about what I said. This is going to be a big theme going forward into the year 2022. Right now, it's America or nothing with regard to liberty on the face of this earth. The only large organized opposition to tyranny in the, in the Western world is in America. Canada is lost. Canada is a farce. Canada is a nation of sheep voting voting nothings into office. We voted nothing into office. Half of our nation is sheep-like. Masks outside is the perfect example. I'm um, Unless a person is a bona fide paranoid, I must say that I lose respect for anyone I see with a mask outside. You are hurting society. Okay? You are damaging society. Children can't see your face. That's bad. You are breathing in your own air. That is pointless, if not bad. It's a bad thing to wear a mask outside. Bad. 
It's damaging. We may prevail. I have more optimism at the end of 2021 than I did at the beginning of 2021. Uh, Senator Paul, let me begin with a threshold question for you. Uh, This election was not stolen. Do you accept that fact? Well, what I would say is that the debate over whether or not there was fraud should occur. We never had any presentation in court where we actually looked at the evidence. Most of the cases were thrown out uh, for lack of standing, which is a procedural way of not actually hearing the question. There were several states in which the law was changed by the Secretary of State and not the state legislature. To me, those are clearly unconstitutional. And I think there's there's still a chance that those actually do finally work their way up to the Supreme Court. Courts traditionally and historically don't like to hear election questions. But yes, were there people who voted twice? Were there dead people who voted? Were there illegal aliens who voted? Yes, and we should get to the bottom of it. I'll give you an example. In my state, when we had a Democrat Secretary of State, she refused, even under federal order, to purge the rolls of illegal voters. We got a Republican Secretary of State, and he purged the rolls. But, so Senator it Paul, does make I have a to, difference, I, and those things I, I have, have to, to stop occur. you there. there no, no, no election is perfect, but there, there were 86 challenges filed by President Trump and his allies in court. All were dismissed. Every state certified the results after investigations and recounts. The de- Department of Justice, led by William Barr, said there's no widespread evidence of fraud. Can't you just say the words, this yeah. election was well, not what stolen? I would suggest is... What I would suggest is that if we want greater confidence in our elections, and 75% of Republicans agree with me, is that we do need to look at election integrity, and we do need to see if we can uh, restore confidence in the elections. Well, 75% of Republicans agree with you because they were fed a big lie by President Trump and his supporters who say the election was stolen. Why can't you say President Biden won a legitimate and fair Hey, George, 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 where you make a mistake is that People coming from the liberal side like you, you immediately say everything's a lie instead of saying there are two sides to everything. Historically, what would happen is if I said that I thought there was fraud, you would interview someone else who said there wasn't. But now you insert yourself in the middle and say that the absolute well, fact is that everything I'm saying is a lie. Well, because, but I Senator, I said what the president fact, said was a lie because to. he said, hold we're on a second. To. He said the election was stolen. This election was not stolen. This ele- the results were certified in every you're single saying, state you're saying, after counts you're saying, and recounts. You're saying that absolutely it was, you're saying there was no fraud and it's all been investigated. And that's just not true. So it's not what I said, sir. I said the Department of Justice found no evidence. Let me me finish finish my point. You You said something that was not true. You say we're all liars. You're just simply saying we're all liars. I said it was a lie that the election was stolen. Premise that you're right and we're wrong. Well, no. Well, let's let's talk about the specifics of it. In Wisconsin, tens of thousands of absentee votes had only the name on them and no address. Historically, those were thrown out this time. They weren't. They made special accommodations because they said, oh, it's a pandemic, and people forgot what their address was. So they changed the law after the fact. That is wrong. That's unconstitutional. And I plan on spending the next two years going around state to state and fixing these problems. And I won't be cowed by liberals in the media who say, there's no evidence here, and you're a liar if you talk about election fraud. No, let's have an open debate. It's a free country. It, there's there is no widespread evidence of election fraud that overturned the results that was stated as well by the Department of Justice led by President Trump's attorney general in Wisconsin. There were counts and recounts. Well, actually, it was the never studied. That, even that's certified. not true. Even that's not true. 
Even William that's Barr not said true. that Barr said that, but there was, yes, he said that, yes, that was a pronouncement. There has been no examination, thorough examination of all the states to see what problems we had and see if they could fix them. Now, let me say, to be clear, I voted to certify the state electors because I think it would be wrong for Congress to overturn that. But at the same time, I'm not willing just to sit here and say, oh, everybody on the Republican side is a liar and there is no fraud. No, there were lots of problems and there were secretaries of state who illegally changed the law and that needs to be fixed. And I'm going to work hard to fix it. And I won't be cowed by people saying, oh, you're a liar. That's the problem with the media today is they say all Republicans are liars and everything we say is a lie. There are two sides to every story. Interview somebody on the other side, but don't insert yourself into the story to say we're all liars because we there, there's some fraud there, in the there, election. There are not, there are not Two, there are not two sides of the story. This has been looked at in every single state. The election oh, sure there are. certified there are in every There are two sides to every state. story. George, you're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting who you are as a journalist. If you think there's only one side, you're inserting yourself into the story to say, I'm a liar because I want to look at election fraud and I want to look at secretaries of state who illegally change the voter laws without the permission of their state legislatures. That is incontrovertible. It happened. And you can't just sweep that under the rug and say, oh, nothing to see here. And everybody's a liar. And you're a fool if you bring this up. You're inserting yourself into the story. A journalist I'm, would hear both sides, and there are two sides to this story. I'm, sta I'm standing by facts. There are not two sides to facts. I did not say there, that this was a perfect election. I said it was. the results were certified. I said it was not stolen. It is You're a saying lie to people say people are liars. You're stolen. saying people are liars if they want to investigate what happened in the election. Shouldn't That's we not investigate what I said. the fact that tens of thousands of absentee ballots did not have addresses on them and normally were disqualified, but this time they were counted? Should we examine that? I don't know whether it affected the election or not, but I have an open mind. And if we actually examine this, we find out it didn't, that's fine, but it still should be fixed. There, there's, there can be more investigations. The investigations that have taken place have shown there is not enough fraud to change the results of this election. That has been certified by every state. It was stated by the Justice Department and the Attorney General. And I accepted the state certifications, but it doesn't mean that I think that there wasn't fraud and that there weren't problems that have to be investigated. And it doesn't mean that the law wasn't broken. I believe in Pennsylvania they broke the law, and I believe if that ever would get a real hearing in the Supreme Court, it was denied for standing. It wasn't actually taken up. If it were taken up, I do believe that the Supreme Court would overrule and say that they did break the law illegally. I ask you a very simple question. Was the election stolen or not? I think there was a great deal of evidence of uh, fraud and changing of the election laws illegally, and I think a thorough investigation is warranted. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today, we have a special guest. He happens to be related to me. And he's been around a bit, and he's been involved in politics. I don't know why. He never asked me advice about getting into politics or anything. He just went and did it. And when he told me a long time ago that he was going to run for the Senate, he said, just right off the bat, you're going to run for the Senate. So that was a surprise, but most people know him as well or better than they know me now. But he's, 
here in Lake Jackson due to the Christmas holiday, and we've had a wonderful Christmas weekend, and uh, it ended up for the Christmas dinner, we had 51 at, the, at our, our family, lunch, uh, family meal. And I thought, well, is the family still growing? And my wife Carol says, yes, it's still growing. The more babies there, we saw a little baby, and who knows. But anyway, we had a wonderful time, and uh, Rand doesn't get to Texas a whole lot, but when he gets a chance, he does. He does come, and his three boys and his wife was with us this weekend, so it was a wonderful weekend. Rand, good to have you on the program. Glad to be with you. Now, we did have to consult with Dr. Fauci about coming down here, and <gasps> Dr. Fauci said that we needed to bring a vaccine passport, and so what we did is we tweeted out, and we said, you know, to come to the Paul family Christmas, all you have to do is present uh, verification that you've read the Constitution, oh. but you don't really have to have any vaccine passport. Well, um, do, do you think we're making any progress uh, with our effort to educate Fauci? Do you think he knows what it means to have natural immunity? You know, I think he secretly does, but I think he lets on or pretends as if he doesn't. In fact, I've referred to it as sort of a platonic lie, a noble lie. He thinks that it's best that you be vaccinated, and he wants everyone to be vaccinated, and he thinks, well, yeah, people are probably immune, they might not need it, but we don't want people to worry their pretty little heads about it. We'd rather just have everybody do the same thing because it's easier, uniformity and submission is easier if everybody does the same thing. But if he were sitting here, yes, he's not a complete idiot. I mean, he, he actually understands this, but he's not a truthful or an honest person. But because he's made this mistake of de-emphasizing natural immunity, I think thousands of people have lost their lives. Let's take India, for example. They've taken his advice and they have a billion people. Well, they have a couple hundred million vaccines. So they don't have enough vaccines for everyone. So who should you prioritize the vaccines for? Well, not people have already had it. I've already had it. I should be at the end of the line. Right. The people at the front of the line should be the people most susceptible, the elderly. But if you don't prioritize the vaccine and you don't have enough, guess what? Many older people die and many 35-year-old people are being vaccinated. That makes no scientific sense. But as a consequence, literally tens of thousands of people probably lost their lives because he's ignored natural immunity. You know, I want to ask you something, and I don't think we've ever talked about it. It has to do with, with conspiracies. And uh, I heard, heard it said once, and I like to quote, well, yes, I believe in conspiracies, all the, all the truthful conspiracies. <laughs> and then I decided everybody conspires. You know, uh, when you do philosophy, you're conspiring and, and planning. But I want to ask you about Fauci. Uh, I imagine two, maybe three years ago, how many people in this country would really know who Dr. Fauci? I don't think I would have known. When he first came on, I didn't know. Okay, but do you think there was a plan to bring this about and Fauci was there and part of the plan with Gates? Or do you think something was happening at a more modest rate and they jumped on it and they were able to take it and twist it and make a big deal of it? I was kind of in the midst of this and hearing about it on a day-to-day -day basis when this started. So the pandemic comes, there's this natural worry, media plays up worry because it sells. It's sort of like journalism of crime, journalism of extreme events sells. So they were playing it up and then Trump would come out and he would have a press conference and people would say, well, he doesn't sound very informed on science and we're worried about him being out there in front of this thing. What if millions of people die and Trump's not, you know, completely got all the data straight? They said, we need a scientist out there. And it was mainly the big government Republicans who run the committees. All of the establishment Republicans in the Senate, they all said to a person, we love Dr. Fauci after one press conference. They loved him. 
And even Trump wasn't certain at first. He, he sounds so reasonable. And actually, in the first couple of weeks, he was somewhat reasonable. <laughs> but he got worse and worse and worse as time got on. But then he became a force of his own and so prominent that his edicts and then this other Dr. Burks, they basically created the lockdown scenario, the idea that everyone should have to be tested whether you have any symptoms or not. We've never in the history of medicine called a disease something where people have no symptoms. We've never tested people who have no sickness and called them ill. So, so it looked like two events were coming together and then they build on themselves. It wasn't like uh, uh, 10 years ago, uh, Gates and Fauci and a few others said, you know, we're, we're, because some people will claim that, well, that, they, I, I think that, that Gates less, was involved. I would, call, I would call it less of a conspiracy and more of a philosophy. I think Fauci is of the philosophy that vaccines are incredibly successful and are the way to go versus therapeutics, for example. So with regard to AIDS, he was involved in the, as the AIDS epidemic came up, he wanted to develop a vaccine. There's nothing wrong with that. He wanted to develop a vaccine. Vaccines can be great for polio or smallpox or wonderful. It didn't actually work for AIDS. We still don't have an AIDS vaccine. But some people say that it hindered the therapeutic, and, and right now we treat AIDS pretty well. You can prevent people from having AIDS, people are HIV positive, they're on like five or ten different drugs. But the therapeutic angle ended up being the best, but he was biased towards a vaccine. And it's the same way now. I would venture to say that thousands of people die in our country every month now from COVID because he's de-emphasized the idea that they're therapeutics. And the one thing I say in every speech, and I'll say on this interview is, if you get sick with COVID, there's a window of time when you can be treated. Almost all the treatments work the sooner you get it. So if you are you know, particularly over 65 or overweight at any age, you're at risk for this disease. And at the early stages in it, the first several days of symptoms is when you need to get either monoclonal antibodies, steroids, something that lowers your, your inflammation. But have you ever heard Fauci once on television say, there's a window of time and if you miss it, so, for example, I know a young man, he was in his mid-40s, overweight, he got COVID, but he just stayed at home and he waited till day nine or ten and he was sick as a dog. He went to the hospital and they put him on the ventilator, it's just too mm. late. None of the medicines will work. But I blame Dr. Fauci for that because he was never on TV saying, if you get sick, there is a treatment. Because it's everything about the vaccine, and then if you're not vaccinated, you're unclean, you're a, you're a terrible, mm. you're like a leper. And instead of saying, all right, I wish you had been vaccinated, I'm for the vaccine, you didn't, you're sick, here's the treatment you should get. It's as if they, they really despise and discount and want these people to be treated as less than human, and it's awful. I've seen them, they jump up and down and glorify and clap their hands when someone dies from COVID. If you haven't been vaccinated and you die, they will jump up and down and somehow think it's a celebration. You know, one thing that you've brought attention to throughout the country, and this is the whole issue of natural immunity. The way I see it, natural immunity is nothing new. It's been around for a long time. It was naturally understood about how it worked. And when I was small, you know, we, ex we got exposed to the contagious diseases, right. that sort of thing. But then all of a sudden, it was practically, you know, ignored or demonized and and uh, it had no benefits. And then they came up and what they've worked in here is something I'm very concerned about. And that is the vaccine passport. You know, you can't do anything unless you have the passport. Right. And then it turns out that they want to, did, uh, you know, ignore natural immunity. And yet they're the, probably the safest people to be around. I think you're one um, of those people. Yeah. <laughs> the, the irony is, is that the immunology, the immune response you get from a vaccine is based on what we understood that people got a disease naturally, they developed an immune response. So when you take a vaccine, you're trying to simulate what the body does naturally. 
Now the left says, oh, you want people to get COVID. And it's like, no, I don't. It can be a deadly disease. I don't want anybody to get sick, but 50 million people have officially had it. But if you do the antibody studies, it's probably 150 million Americans. So almost half of America has already had COVID. To discount 50% of the equation and say it doesn't count is unscientific and wrongheaded. But yeah, the studies now show, and this is what's hilarious, if you watch CNN, which I don't recommend, <laughs> but if you, if you happen to accidentally turn CNN and you're watching CNN, and they'll say, oh, I, I fear going to a restaurant and I might sit next to an unwashed Republican who's not <laughs> vaccinated. And, and, and it's like, do you realize if that person has had COVID, I've had COVID, but have not been vaccinated. Let's say you've been vaccinated. That's probably not true. But let's say a person <laughs> I'm sitting next to has been vaccinated. I'm unvaccinated, but have had it. It's actually safer to sit next to me because Absolutely. I'm less likely to get it again. But I'm not advocating people get it. All I'm advocating is that we acknowledge if you've had it, let's look at the science. And the science shows that you do have significant immunity. And I've also said, look, I might get vaccinated some days. Just right now, I've already been vaccinated by nature. Okay, I want to ask you about where we are on this understanding of natural immunity. There was a, there was a scientific understanding which was reasonable in, in the past. And then at the beginning of this epidemic, they deliberately have demonized this whole concept because right. uh, you need vaccines. You don't need anything natural. You don't need treatment like you're advocating right. and, and get your own immunity. But lately, I sense, and I want to get your opinion about this, is I sense that um, it's, almost, it's almost permissible to talk about natural immunity again. It's coming back, which is, I think, very good. So they went from a more normal state, then they became horrible. And now, I think, due to your work and some others, they're starting to say, you know, natural immunity, people are making the point on TV, actually, right. and saying, you know, well, how, how, can, how can these people, right. they're safer people, and, they, and why can't they go to the store, too, without getting a shot and all was, that nonsense? I was reading today that um, this was by Martin Kulldorff. He's a Harvard epidemiologist, good. really good. He, Scott Atlas, Jay Bhattacharya, and a few others, Ionidas, have been really great with this. But he said they knew about immunity from the uh, plague of 430 BC. That's when they started learning, wow, this person got it and they don't get it again. But even during George Washington's time, they developed the smallpox vaccine in the 1720s. By the time you get to 1776, in the Revolutionary War, more people died from infectious disease than bullets, camp fever, all of those things. So Martha wanted to visit George Washington in the camp, and George said, you can't come unless you're vaccinated. But people are like, well, was George vaccinated? No, he had pox. You could tell he'd had smallpox. They knew if you'd had smallpox, you didn't need to be vaccinated. We've known this for hundreds of years. For them to deny it is to deny all science. And usually what they say is, well, we don't know. And I get the reporters coming up to me in the halls of Congress saying, well, you don't know how long. I said, well, I don't know how long your vaccine is going to work either. I don't condemn you for <laughs> we, being we vaccinated. We sort of know they don't last yeah, very long. Exactly. But I don't say, oh, my goodness, you've been vaccinated and it's been six months. I'm going to shun you and stay away from you. But if I've been infected, they're all assuming my, my immunity no longer works. The reason why the infection may be better is when you get infected, you get immunity to a broad array of proteins on the surface of the virus. Vaccine is to the S protein. So it's to one particular protein and they've isolated that. When you get infected, you've been infected by the whole thing and you get immunity to a variety of the proteins on the surface and it, it may well be uh, more robust. But the bottom line is 
it really isn't about the science. It should be about individual freedom. Is it your choice or my choice to decide what we inject into our body? Who ever thought that that wouldn't be an individual choice? Right. Our audience is very much aware of corporatism, the mixture of big business and big government, and, and they know what's going on right now. But uh, Corporatism and this money-making machine uh, should have get, gotten us more allies. Like right now, uh, we're disappointed because all of a sudden, I, I've over the years worked with the ACLU and other liberal uh, progressive organizations, and uh, and then, uh, but they're not with us anymore. Right. Uh, have you noticed well, that with some of the members? Because we work with senators, and I'm not going right. to name them, but they were pretty open-minded to at least talking uh, to, to libertarians. But all of a sudden, it yeah. seems like uh, they've lost their way. Yeah, the, the left, in some ways, are bigger advocates of big pharma than, than anybody. You know, it's not the Republican corporatized, it's actually the left that has. But when, when you look at sort of this, even when you look directly at government officials like Fauci, he works for the government, so he's not really corporate cronyism, and yet he kind of is. Mm. So he makes uh, the highest salary of all government, over $400,000 a year, but he's very intertwined with the industry, with the vaccine industry. We don't get to see his reports because he didn't have to fill out a report. So I have to fill out a financial report and you get an outline of where my investments are. He doesn't fill that out. It'd be kind of nice to know that. But the thing is, is there really truly was a conspiracy. There's, there's billions of dollars of investment money. Fauci runs it. Every university and every professor across the country and the world is dependent on him for funding. So the money that was going to Wuhan was going to a guy named Peter Dayzak. Well, it was over $100 million, so you can't say money wasn't involved. $100 million is controlled by this guy, Peter Dayzak. And I should have read this more carefully, but when he wrote that initial letter saying that it absolutely came from nature and couldn't come to the lab, he said, anybody that says it's coming from a lab is a conspiracy theory. And this is where conspiracy theory now has just become an accusation from the left. If I don't like your argument, I'll just say it's a conspiracy theory. Why? Because I say it is. But that's what they said, is that it was the idea that this could have come from a lab was conspiracy theory. But the interesting thing is, at that point in time, after two months, 99% of the people trusted Fauci and thought that they were telling the truth. We have whittled away at it, steadfastly gone after him day after day, and so have other people. Now there's a large group of us. But I would say that we asked, we actually asked the question in our state. We polled the question, who do you trust, me or Dr. Fauci? And we beat him 4840. <laughs> and I have all kinds of other positions I have to defend. All he has to defend is public health. And they still said that I was more trustworthy in Kentucky than he was. You know, we, we talk a lot on the program about resistance. We encourage resistance, and not, you know, peaceful resistance. And the numbers are growing. The crowds are getting bigger. And, and we sense that there, there is uh, an enlightenment there moving in the direction of questioning this. But what do you notice in the Senate? Have you noticed any shift? Because sometimes I've been, you know, I complain about the, the liberal progressives not doing a good job. But I would say that from my viewpoint, that some of the conservatives could do better. They're sort of quiet on right. that. Do you think there's a shift in attitude? Have you seen anybody come up and they're much friendlier to talk to you about this now right. than they were a year ago? I would say this, you know, I've always been pro-vaccine as a doctor, but pro-freedom. It's your choice for your children also. So this didn't just start with COVID. This started with the mandates in school, which I've opposed the mandates in school. And I think parents should make these decisions. 
So I've been associated with a movement. Some of them are against vaccines. Some of them are for vaccine freedom. But I meet these people. They come to my office. I've talked to them for years. We have a lot in common because I'm for freedom. Even though we might not always have the same agreement on exactly whether to take a vaccine or not, I agree. we all agree it should be voluntary. That group would only have maybe one or two of us that would talk to them. Now we had 50 people, all 50 senators, 50 out of 50 Republicans signed to say we shouldn't have a vaccine mandate. So in some ways, those of us who are for freedom from mandates have come a long way because five years ago, how many people would show up in the U.S. Senate of 50 Republicans to say we shouldn't mandate on children? Probably one, me, one or two others. But now we have all 50 on the COVID saying this shouldn't be a COVID vaccine mandate. Well, we're, on our program, we're always looking for that positive thing. And I would say what you just said is a positive thing yeah. because there is a shift and you can identify it and, 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 and recognize it. And I think, I think that that's great because I think the, uh, the, they, re, they reflect this sentiment of the people. And you're well aware of what I, the work that I did with auditing the Fed. And that was, we didn't go to, to, to the politicians as much as we went to the people. And when the people started doing it, we had some votes where we got every, every right. Republican in the House to vote and pass these bills. So this, the, if the members of the Senate and other places are starting to shift, they're reading something out there where the people are starting to shift. I think, I think the people are shifting our direction. The establishment is becoming more and more draconian. So for example, five years ago, no one would have ever conceived of mandating the flu vaccine. The advice was, I think over 50, that you were advised voluntarily to take, and that's what doctors would say, over 50, they thought the flu vaccine was a good thing to take. And there was never any indication of a mandate. But now they're talking about mandates, not only just on those who are at risk, but those who are not at risk. And really it's probably the opposite of even the truth of the best way to get better. Since kids don't die from this and kids don't transmit it very well, here's an example, in Sweden, there's 1.8 million kids. They don't wear any masks. They go to school every day. They've gone through the whole pandemic. Not one child has died between the ages of like one and 15, zero. And if you say, well, gosh, they're probably infecting and killing all their teachers. You look at the incidence of the infection in the teachers, it's the same as every other profession. So there you have an experiment of a country of 10 million people, and yet we're completely ignoring it. So I think there is this understanding. Lots of Europe actually are, are less draconian. Some of Europe's terrible, and then some parts of Europe are less draconian than we are here. You, you know, there, there is some reporting, and there's some collection of opinions at the CDC about the complications from the vaccine, and some sound pretty, pretty bad. Uh, but there's an there, there's a uh, debate really going on there because if, if you can't say that on, on regular television because then you're really way out there. But it, but it seems like uh, the numbers, if the numbers are true, that is a serious problem. And do you have a sense of that? Do you think that the numbers lean in the direction that it's much worse than right. we, that the average person hears? Or do you, uh, do you think that's sort of uh, manufactured? This is my opinion and not a mandate. It's just what I would tell you if someone came to me as a doctor, that you measure your risks and benefits depending on your risks and your benefits. So the disease is a disease primarily of older folks and overweight folks. So if you are 80 years old, you're a thousand times more likely to die than a 10 year old. So if you give the 10 year old and the 80 year old the same advice, you're not a very good doctor. You're not really paying attention to the facts. So it is different. And so I think that the risks of the disease outweigh the benefits of, I mean, the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks of the vaccine for older people, but for younger people, we don't know. 
And so with, for younger people, and this would probably go for almost any age, if the, people were asking me and you came to me and they said, should you take a vaccine? I would say, let's draw your blood first and see if you've already had the disease. If you've had the disease, I'd be much less inclined no matter what your age is. If you're 80 years old, and even though I'm for giving you the advice to take it, if you already had antibodies, I'd probably say, yeah, I don't know if you need to. If you're 10 years old and you have antibodies to it, I would say absolutely don't because my fear is, is that the vaccine has a heightened response to people who've already had it. Because you already have it, you've seen the virus, then you introduce the virus again through the vaccine and you get this over exuberant response, which may be why some of the kids are getting myocarditis. I don't think we've adequately discussed that, but it isn't real common. The myocarditis, I think, with the vaccines, about one in 100,000. But then again, your kid's risk of getting it is uh, no. we, not virtually non-existent if you don't take you know, the vaccine. Another, another thing I think has been positive is that there's been an emphasis in the last year or two uh, with nutrition and vitamins and protection and good health and weight right. and all this and just knowledge of early treatment for a certain group versus, right. versus the other. And uh, I know that uh, raising kids, uh, I think, uh, Carol and I would, would say we use common sense. We ate well. We were used to eating from farms, you know, and fresh vegetables and all these things. But we didn't, we didn't do too much of this vitamin stuff. I would say for me personally over the last maybe decade or so that I moved, kept moving in the direction of looking for the nutritional products that may be not in our diet. And I think, I think there is an emphasis on that, but of course there's a lot of hype too. Right. But I think, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, they may be, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, get out and get some sunshine now. Right. And, and so I think that's one thing that's good, but it's probably still a small number of people. But our government's not helping us on that. They, right. they, they wouldn't be talking about that in, in prevention as right. much as they want to get you good to sign up for the vaccine. Yeah. No, I take multivitamins, you know, every day. It's harder to prove whether stuff like that works. If you take a blood pressure medicine, we measure your blood pressure and it goes down, we know it works. For something more holistic, like do you feel better, is your memory better, it's harder to tell if the vitamin caused that or your exercise caused that or your diet caused that. But I think these things we should be open to and allow to happen. The other thing is, is that the early therapeutics, I think, uh, for COVID should be allowed and people should be, I mean, we never in the history of medicine forbid you from taking one medicine that was used for blood pressure or malaria and using it for another reason until recently, but it's gotten so bad that I have doctors every day come up to me in my own community and say, well, I spoke out against vaccine mandates and they're threatening my license. They're threatening my credentials. They're threatening me at the hospital. And my partners are telling me, is it worth it? Just be quiet. Yeah. I mean, there really what is this, this, this sort of pressure and censorship against it. And it, it all sort of stems from the top down. Most of the universities lead the way and they're the biggest voices in science, all the scientists, but they're controlled, all of them, by the dollars. And the dollars are controlled by Fauci and they're petrified of having their money yanked. Yeah, that, that's it, and it, it's intimidation. It's, it's terroristic, you know, boy, when you think you're gonna lose your job, and I, I hear so many stories like that, right. who people who have lost their job and lost their license, kicked out of hospitals and all that, right. but those stories, when we have to tell those stories on, tell, on our program here, uh, what Daniel and I will do is say, 
I always try to finish with say, well, that's good news. We just woke up another 10,000 people right. to, to some good common sense because this doesn't make any sense. Right. And uh, so I, I think that uh, it's, it's gradual. Uh, and I still want to remain optimistic, uh, believing that uh, truth will win out. But I tell you what, it's scary at, at times, you know, uh, because I, I really fear uh, what I fear is the, uh, the this inclination to, to know everything about everybody all the time. And with the uh, with the technology available now and uh, now with this uh, technique of, of not being able to do anything unless you've obeyed some silly rule, which is uh, contradicts a lot of the medicine that we learn. You know, there, are people, there are people pushing back. I was a big fan of Scott Atlas. I recommended him to be hired by President Trump. And that was a one time President Trump did listen to me. And he's now forming a think tank on health freedom and scientific oh. uh, inquiry. And Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford and this Martin uh, Koldorf, who was from Harvard, right. they're all come together and it's going to be endowed through Hillsdale College. And it's a new sort of freedom of scientific thought and uh, I think we are able to push back on some of this. And like I say, it went from Fauci being untouchable, Teflon, nobody could touch him, to now at least half the country or more thinks he's not always being honest and he's self-interested or conflicted in his interest. Same with natural immunity. I think we have pushed back enough, and the Internet is working to a certain extent to disseminate information to question authority. Uh, we're going to wind this down a little bit, but I have some other questions. How big of an issue will Fauci be in next year's election? I think huge. And one of the things I've told people is if I win in 2022, I'll be chairman of a committee in the Senate. We will use the subpoena power to bring forward always all the records. Right now, they send us records. If we ask about their discussions about covering up where the, where the virus came from and its origins in the lab, they, they white it all out. They redact all of the information and send us a blank piece of paper, and they won't tell us about their conversations. We'll get to the root of everything. And I, think, I predict this. If Republicans take over the, the House or the Senate, Fauci will retire. And that would be the best thing for the country because he's been so damaging. Because it's not just through force of law. All these blue state governors listen to him and think that it's science to close a restaurant at 10 o'clock at night or to say we have to have 25% patrons. There's no evidence that any of the mitigation, any of the rules or mandates change the trajectory of the virus at all. You know, Grant, if that's the case and you're moving into that position, that, that's a big deal. Do you think I should advise our viewers to support you? <laughs> well, that would be good, yes. And what, uh, would you, what would you tell them to do well, they uh, need to, to go support? To, they need to go to randfall.com yeah. and uh, help us out. And uh, we have a very good chance of winning re-election, but there's a lot of money floating around on the left, and the left does a good job of raising money. So we have to be competitive. If we're competitive with our campaign finances, we should be able to win. Well, very good. You know, this has been great, and I, am, I bet you our viewers would uh, listen to us for a few more minutes because uh, there's a lot of things going on in the Senate, and uh, it's great to get an opinion, too. Sometimes you're not supposed to give your opinion, but that's what we want. We want your opinion, and we know his opinion, and, and uh we don't want the authoritarian saying this is what you do, and you don't have you don't have the uh, prerogative of uh, a voluntary decision, and everybody doing what they think's best for themselves. Well, there's a lot of people that have a lot to learn about what a free society is all about, and I'm really pleased the way uh, you have uh, followed through and have promoted uh, that principle and that philosophy. So uh, uh, we're very proud of that. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today uh, to the Liberty Report. Uh, please come back soon.
Judge Andrew Napolitano here, my friends. Welcome to Freedom Watch, my podcast where I get to interview my friends and pick their brains and talk about topics of interest to you. Today, one of the smartest people I know or know of in explaining economic factors. Why does it cost you more for a gallon of gas today than it did two years ago? Which will be my first question to him. Peter Schiff. Peter is a graduate of the University of California at Berkeley. He is the founder of Euro Pacific Asset Management, which is a successor to many of his other companies, all with the name of Euro Pacific. Back when I was at Fox, he was a regular uh, guest of ours. He is about the best explainer of free market economics that I know. Peter, welcome to Judging Freedom. Oh, thanks for having me on your podcast, Judge. It's, well, a, it's a pleasure, time. my dear friend. Why are we all suffering from inflation today? Well, there's only one reason that anybody suffers from inflation, and that's because of the government. Government is created by inflation. It's a creature of government. In fact, it's simply a stealth way that the government taxes us. Because inflation, by definition, is the expansion of the money supply. I mean, to inflate literally means to expand. People normally think about prices, but you can't expand a price. It's the money supply that expands. But when you increase the supply of money, you diminish the value of that money. And now more money is required to buy goods and services. And so the price of those goods and services rises to reflect the additional money. So it's the increase in price is merely a result of the inflation that is created by government, specifically the Federal Reserve, because the Federal Reserve is expanding the money supply, but the government is ultimately spending that money supply into circulation when it sends out checks without collecting tax revenue, right? You, you have these big budget deficits. Where does the government get a lot of the money to, to spend if it's not collecting it in taxes? And it's getting it from from the government that is simply creating it out of thin air. Now, what you just said is so logical and so obvious and so inassailable. Why doesn't the government recognize what it's doing or is it doing this intentionally? Well, certainly the government doesn't want the public to know that inflation is created by government because then they might oppose it, obviously, because it's a tax. They want to blame inflation on the public, on greedy corporations, uh, gouging their customers, on OPEC for raising the price of oil, uh, speculators for trading in commodities, uh, sometimes even maybe greedy unions demanding higher wages. The government wants to point the finger at everybody but itself. And, you know, part of the problem is um, inflation sometimes, instead of causing prices to go up, it prevents them from falling. And so we don't actually see the harmful effects of inflation because you don't realize how much lower your cost of living would otherwise have been absent government created inflation. Because the beauty of capitalism, uh, what little we have left in this country, is that capitalism is a force that leads to abundance, that leads to efficiencies and economies of scale. And so normally in a capitalist economy, the cost of goods and services is going down. And that means our standard of living is going up because we can afford to buy more stuff. But when the government creates inflation, oftentimes 
it prevents those benevolent price declines from happening. But we don't complain about it because we don't realize uh, the benefit that we never enjoyed. So, you know, if, in, if prices go up by 2%, but they should have gone down by 5%, the government says, oh, we have 2% inflation. But we don't. We have 7% inflation. Prices are 7% higher because the government inflated the money supply than what they would have been had the government not created the inflation in the first place. So, so how, how does the government tax people by its inflationary behavior? Well, the government needs money to spend, and it has two ways of getting that money. One is the honest way. It could take it from us through taxation, right, where the government literally takes money out of our paychecks so we have less money to spend. Or they can persuade us to loan them the money, which, again, we take money that we could have spent and we loan it to the government and the government spends it instead. Now, of course, that represents a claim on future taxpayers, which are ultimately going to have to pay taxes to the government so the government can pay me back the money it borrowed. But in either of those two ways, taxation or legitimate borrowing, money is sent from the private sector to the government And then the government puts it back into the private sector. So there is no net increase in the money supply, but there is a net reduction in my personal money supply because money that I send to the government cannot be spent by me. Um, But I have less to spend, so I get less stuff. The other way the government can pay for spending is just by printing money, and then it gives that newly printed money to somebody else to spend it. But when that happens, even though the government didn't take my money, the government took my purchasing power because now the the people who got that newly printed money, they go out into the marketplace and spend it. They compete with me to buy goods and services, and that drives up the price of those goods and services. And that additional price basically is the equivalent of a tax. So let's say the government takes 10% of my money in taxes, and now I have to reduce my spending by 10% because I only have 90% of my money, uh, so I buy less stuff. But if the government leaves me with all my money but just prints up the equivalent of 10% of my money and gives it to another person, and now that person goes and buys goods and services, and the price of those goods and services go up by 10%, I now have to reduce my spending by that same 10%. because I don't have an unlimited amount of money. Things now cost more. So I end up in the same place, regardless of whether the government takes my money or my purchasing power. The difference is when the government takes my money, I know who to blame, right? That you raise my taxes. But when they steal my money through inflation, I'm confused, especially when the government is lying to the public about why prices are going up, or in fact, they're not, or they're pretending they're not going up by using the CPI, which doesn't even capture the real extent that prices are going up. So I don't even know they're going up if I believe the government. But what I do know is my standard of living is going down uh, because you know I, I'm not able to afford as much stuff with my income, but I'm not blaming government and I'm not taking my frustration out at the polls. That's what the politicians don't want. They don't like to raise taxes because the voters don't like paying higher taxes. But if they steal their purchasing power through inflation, the voters don't know they're getting robbed and they may still continue to reelect the people who are robbing them. When I was a senior at Princeton, there was a young kid who lived across the hall from me and his name was Jay Powell. 
<laughs> Today, that young kid. <laughs> see you laughing. He was a nice guy when he was 17 and 18 years old. Today, he's ruining the economy as the chairman of the Federal Reserve. How can he say with a straight face that inflation is transitory when the government is trying to borrow trillions? Yeah, well, apparently he stopped using the word transitory. Uh, So I don't know what he's using now, but he still expects inflation to come down. I mean, if you look at the Fed's projection of interest rates two years from now, by the end of 2023, the Fed still expects rates to be below 2%. Now, how could that be? How could rates be that low if the Fed is actually committed to fighting inflation? Because even if you believe the government's methodology for tracking prices, prices are rising 7% right now. Well, how are you going to do anything about 7% inflation when your interest rates are lower than 2%? You've got negative real interest rates greater than 5%. You're not going to make any headway fighting inflation unless you have real, a positive real interest rates, which means if inflation is 7%, you need interest rates of maybe 8%, 9%. I mean, ask Paul Volcker. I mean, he's not alive anymore, but, you know, they didn't take rates up to 20%, you know, for the fun of it. Right. <laughs> rates went up there because inflation was 13% and people thought it was going to get even worse. And so the Fed had to get in front of the inflation curve. Well, Powell is still way behind the inflation curve. That curve is accelerating now, and it's clearly going to accelerate more as the size of the deficits get bigger and bigger, and the Fed is then required to to print even more money to monetize it. Now, it's not legally required to do it. In fact, it should refuse to do it. That's what the Fed is supposed to do. But unfortunately, the Fed does Congress's bidding, and whatever deficits Congress runs, the Fed is happy to monetize them. In fact, the Fed is encouraging the government to run bigger deficits specifically so it can monetize them. So when you say print money, they don't literally print money. Don't they just add zeros to the bank accounts of their favorite bankers? Yeah, you know, they don't need a printing press anymore because most of the money is electronic. It's just an entry, computer entry into a bank deposit. And so the federal government has an account at the Fed and the Fed just adds uh, numbers into that account, uh, you know, by pushing a button or whatever, whatever they have to do, stroke a key. uh, But that's it. Uh, So you can create even more inflation because in the past, maybe you were at least constrained by the availability of paper and ink. Uh, But now, I guess, as long as they have an Internet connection, uh, they can keep creating inflation. So the interest rates you're talking about is really the rent you pay to borrow money. Are, are those rents, those interest rates ever going to float so that it's determined by supply and demand? That is unless you and Ron Paul uh, become members of the Fed without you and Ron well, Paul becoming members of the Fed. <laughs> well, eventually it's going to have to happen because the government can only succeed in artificially suppressing them uh, for so long. How long? Well, as anybody's guess. I mean, it's already or they've already been able to succeed for a long time, longer than a lot of people, myself included, uh, would have expected years and years ago when they really started the process. But there are many reasons that the Federal Reserve is artificially suppressing rates. And of course, this is doing severe damage to the U.S. economy. But the reason they're doing it is, number one, 
the Fed believes that uh, high asset prices are key to economic growth. They believe in the wealth effect, even if it's phony wealth, just on paper, as long as we feel richer, uh, the Fed is happier. And right. so the Fed wants to keep stock prices high, real estate prices high, to maintain that illusion of wealth. And politicians like to use the level of the stock market as some type of barometer of the efficacy of their policies. So they want to keep assets overpriced, and so they have to keep money cheap. But I think a bigger issue than that is a recognition of the degree of debt that exists throughout the economy, the federal government, state and local governments, corporations, individuals, are loaded up with debt. Now, the reason they're loaded up with debt is because the Fed encouraged them to borrow by keeping rates so low. But right. now that they've taken on so much debt, they can't afford higher interest rates. It's like the Fed got everybody hooked on the drug of cheap money, and now it can't withdraw the drug without everybody going into withdrawal. And so in order to perpetuate this bubble that it created, it's keeping interest rates low. Imagine what would happen if the Federal Reserve allowed interest rates to return to a market level, wherever that level is. Now, right. we would know based on supply and demand because prices are determined by supply and demand absent government intervention. And so interest rates, the price of money, would be determined by the supply of savings in the economy versus how much demand there is on that savings borrowing on the part of all the borrowers. Well, given that we have record amounts of borrowing and hardly any savings, the price of money should be pretty high to borrow. I mean, it shouldn't just be historically normal. It should be historically high given the degree of borrowing we have relative to uh, savings. But even if interest rates just went up to 5% from where they are now, which is basically zero, the, the government's national debt, which is about $30 trillion, it's financed at 1%, mm. not even. But that's only about 300 or a little bit more. It's about $350 billion a year in interest that we're paying on that $30 trillion debt. I mean, 29 whatever it is. But what if interest rates moved up to 5% on Oof. average? And over the next few years, all of that debt reset at the higher rate well, then well, the, Fed, the feds would do the unthinkable. They would borrow money to pay the interest on money they already borrowed. <laughs> but they, <laughs> right. But my, my point is, legitimately, if the federal government had to pay five percent interest on three trillion, right, that's one and a half trillion a year in interest payments versus three hundred and fifty billion. That's about what one point two trillion per year in additional expense. Now, right. compare that to the Build Back Better bill that they're talking about. They were saying that that was going to cost us $1.75 billion over 10 years. Now, of course, you know, they're way off. But if you just believe their bad math, that's $1.75 billion over 10 years. 5% interest rates will cost $1.5 billion per year, $1.2 billion per year. That's $12 trillion, rather, $12 trillion over 10 years that wow. dwarfs the cost of Build Back Better. In fact, if interest, on the, if interest rates go to 5%, given the current size of the national debt, we would be spending more on interest payments 
than we do on any other line item in the budget, which would include Social Security, uh, uh, national defense. I mean, maybe right. Medicare, which I think Medicare, Medicaid, all the health care programs combined would still be bigger than interest on the debt. But if interest rates went to 10 percent, then interest on the debt would, would dwarf what we pay on Medicare and Medicaid. In fact, I think it would exceed what we spend on Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security and national defense all, def- all combined. That's at 10 percent interest. We were at 20 percent right in 1980 when we had a lot less debt than we have now. And we've got a much bigger inflation problem on our hands. But what that shows you is we can't do anything about it. The Fed has put itself into a situation where it can't actually fight inflation because fighting inflation would destroy the bubble economy that they've been nurturing all these years, which is the reason I always said that, you know, when the Fed was saying we want more inflation, I always said, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Because the worst thing that could possibly have happened was a pickup in measured inflation because the entire justification for keeping interest rates artificially low was the idea that we didn't have enough inflation. I mean, it's, that, that's how crazy this was. The Federal Reserve said we don't have enough inflation. Prices are rising too slowly. And therefore, the Fed has an obligation to make sure they rise more quickly because Same. somehow prices that don't rise fast enough represent some type of threat to the economy, which was complete nonsense. But that was the justification. But if inflation is clearly much, much higher than 2%, what is the justification for keeping interest rates at zero? What is the justification for trying to create any additional inflation when we already have too much? None. One of the people behind all this, certainly behind the Build Back Better, Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, you just got in some sort of a public spat with her after she uh, attacked Elon Musk for not paying enough taxes. What was that all about? <laughs> well, you let course. her have it, Peter. God bless you. I'm glad you haven't well, changed. <laughs> she works for the government, so she doesn't pay taxes. I mean, at least not on her senatorial salary. You know, a lot of people that work for the government. See, they think they pay taxes because taxes are taken out of their pay, but they're not really paying taxes. They're just giving back to the government a portion of what the government gave them. Gave to them, so, right. So basically, the government could just reduce their salaries and pay them tax-free. It's the same thing. You see, when you or I pay taxes on our private incomes, we're giving the government money it didn't already have, right? So it's getting extra money. But the government gives money to its employees, and if it takes some of that money back, it's not really taxes. So the people who work for the government are tax takers. They're not taxpayers. They are living off of tax revenue. It's everybody who's in the private sector that is contributing the taxes that pay their salaries. So somebody like Elizabeth Warren shouldn't accuse anybody of being a freeloader, right? Because when you're living in a glass house, you're not supposed to throw stones. Peter Schiff, it's a pleasure Pleasure to chat with you. We first met each other 10 or 15 years ago. You haven't changed at all. You maybe got a little better, but it's just a joy. I hope you'll come back and join us again, Judging Freedom. Oh, anytime, Judge. Just uh, thank, give me a call and I'll, I'll thank be you. here. You know what? Well, well, let's get together in about four or five months when the situation is worse than it is today. It, it, it will be worse. You can rest assured of that. That's the- thank you. Have a great holiday, my it friend. It will be worse. All, all right, best. you too. 